Today's show is sponsored by Juniper Networks. Future belongs to the fast, and the cloud is where speed happens. In today's cloud-native world of microservices and containers, there's mounting pressure to deliver an excellent application experience. Enter Juniper Networks Contrail Networking, which orchestrates virtual networks and network services at the performance and scale required of the largest, most dynamic clouds. It's simple, open, and agile. Contrail Networking provides a consistent networking and security experience for multi-cluster deployments running in the environments that you care about in this open, cloud-native world. Don't just take their word for it. See how it's being used in the wild to scale network infrastructure beyond the data center and enable the next generation of enterprise and telco clouds. Check out juniper.net slash cloudcast to learn more. That's juniper.net slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. As we continue through November 2021, another Sunday Perspective show, and uh, this one's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, it sort of follows a, a mantra that I've had for for years and years, and something that I've passed along to a lot of people that I've worked with, and and that's sort of a simple rule, and that's you know, if you if you ever get a question that that constantly comes to you. Um, or frequently comes to you, and and one that you're answering over and over again, and you know it's not a sort of every question is a nuance, but the same sort of question over and over again. One of the great things that you should do is not just keep answering it over and over again, sort of on a one one to one basis, but find a way to to write it down, if you will. Right? I always just tell people, you know, if, if you have a blog or something, and you have a question that that you answer all the time. Put it in a blog, and that way you can always point people to it as a starting point. It's going to save you a lot of time. Uh, what I'm going to try and do in this one, though, is I get a question oftentimes over and over again, uh, comes into the podcast, and what we're going to do is turn it into a podcast. Um, so I guess uh, I don't have a blog anymore, or I don't really write much of a blog anymore, but uh, so I'm going to turn it into a podcast. And the subject of that question is one that we get sort of variations on. We get a lot of job questions from people. You know, what should I do with my career? Is this a good choice? Is this a good company? Is this a good <clears throat> technology path? Whatever it might be. But one of the ones that we get quite a bit is, um, you know, should I or how do I get into some new role, right? And the one I want to kind of cover today is how do I get into product management? And product management is something that both Aaron and I have done over the years. Uh, we've done sort of direct product management in which we owned a product. Um, a we've, I've owned two or three different ones in my career. Aaron's currently doing product management. But we've also done a number of other things. We've been in product marketing. We've been uh, you know, in, in solutions engineering or solution architecture. We've done a lot of different things. Um, but product management is one of those jobs that is uh, really difficult, um, can be very, very rewarding uh, in the right situation. Um, and so what I thought we would do is, you know, I've had a few people here recently ask, you know, how do I get into product management? Um, they, they come from different backgrounds. And um, so they were really interesting conversations. And so I thought what I would do is sort of, uh, sort of summarize some of the things, um, you know, that we talked about in those conversations and sort of hit on some of the things that I think are important if, you know, you're looking at your career and you're saying, hey, I'd like to get into product management. Um, and the nice thing about it is you can come at it from a lot of different fields. Uh, and I'll talk a little about uh, more about that as we kind of get into it. So we're going to dive into, you know, how do I get into product management? How do I become successful at product management? What skills do I need in the product management space uh, around technology right after the break? Today's show is sponsored by Megaport. Are you looking for an easier way to connect all your clouds that you're using? With Megaport's network as a service platform, you can spin up private connectivity to as many clouds as you want anywhere in the world in minutes, not months. 
all the world's top cloud service providers, such as AWS, Azure, Google, are already on the network and at your fingertips. And it's all software defined, no hardware necessary. Just point, click, and connect. So if you're looking for a way to improve network performance and security, lower cloud cost, and turn up hybrid cloud and multi-cloud connections quickly and easily, Megaport is the cloud connectivity solution for you. Learn more at megaport.com. That's megaport.com. Reimagine connectivity. And we're back. And, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to dive into this question that we get quite a bit uh, amongst many uh, as far as careers and, uh, you know, where to be kind of placed in the industry because there's lots of different roles and so forth. But this one is, you know, I would like to be a product manager. And we've had this question come in from, as I mentioned at the top, you know, a lot of different people. And, And you'd be surprised at the different kinds of backgrounds that people have that get into product management. Um, you know, in some cases, they come from a very technical background. So maybe they've been a developer and they're sort of tired of just getting the requirements. They want to write the requirements, right? They want to be a little more on the, you know, what should we build? I want to build a better mousetrap than the, hey, you go build this, right? Um, we get people who have been, uh, you know, what we'll call sort of solutions architects or solutions engineers, people who have lived with technology, um, have been responsible for building it and maintaining it and operating it. And, you know, maybe it's a DevOps job or it's an SRE job or it's a solution architect, whatever. Um, essentially, you know, you, 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 you figured out the technology, you put it together, you built it, you designed it, you lived with it. And you're also sitting there going, hey, I think, I think I'm smarter than a lot of these product managers that I'm using products from and technologies from. I'd really like to be uh, on the other side of it, you know, coming up with the ideas, designing them, building them. I think I understand the space really, really well. And I'd like to do that. And we've seen lots of people who've come from that. That's one of the, the areas that we really love to have guests on um, is guests who have sort of started life uh, in that domain, uh, lived with a problem, built a solution to the problem, and then eventually sort of uh, went in and productized that problem. And, you know, one of the ones that we always sort of refer back to is uh, is uh, Mitchell Hashimoto uh, from HashiCorp, the, the founder of HashiCorp. Um, for those of you who are probably listening to this uh, sometime in November, uh, HashiCorp just announced they're going to file for an IPO, which is awesome. I think we had those guys, uh, we had Mitchell all by himself maybe, uh, I'm in the very early, early shows back in 2011. So we've been following those folks for 10 years. And But but he's a, a great example of somebody who, you know, used to like run an ISP, I think it was his background, and started building some tools that um, he needed to make his life easier. That eventually became Vagrant and Terraform and all these other sort of things. But, you know, we love that sort of person who wants to then become a product manager. The other kind of person that we get uh, quite oftentimes is somebody who comes from the business background. And they go, you know, I spent a lot of time as a business analyst, um, you know, a finance, uh, you know, responsible for the finance of, of things. And and I've been looking at the market and I think I really understand the market. And oftentimes those folks don't necessarily, they're maybe not necessarily the best at inventing the technology, but they figured out a better business model, right? And you'll learn as we go through this, that the business model and the way that you go to market and all those sort of things are just as important as getting the right technology. And so it's not unusual to have folks that come from more of a business background. And I sort of highlight those those different kinds of backgrounds because at the end of the day, to be a successful product manager, you have to sort of have all three. And, and that makes it one of the most challenging jobs in our industry, whether you're building products as a, a vendor or a cloud provider that somebody else is going to buy or you're building internal products for your company, you know, you have to be a technology expert. You have to be a crystal ball reader. You have to be able to predict the future because if you're just building something that solves a problem today, 
there's probably somebody else who's already 12 months ahead of you or 18 months ahead of you, right? So you got to be a crystal ball reader. You've got to be a technologist. You've really got to understand the, the problem space. You have to understand the market, and that could be an internal marketplace for the products that you're building. You know, you're competing against some other business unit or something, or you're competing against the the open market. You know, the sort of open competitive market. So you've got to be a market analyst, a business analyst, um, and you've got to be really great at prioritizing things. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, Steve Jobs famously once said about Apple, you know, the thing that Apple does best is say no. And, you know, they get tons of requests to do lots of features and all this sort of things. And and as a product manager, you're constantly dealing with that, right? Like, I want this feature and that feature. And why can't you do it this way? And why can't you do it this way? And why don't you cut the price? And you're constantly having to go, I only have a finite number of resources and I have a timeline to meet. What do I prioritize? So you need all those things to be a product manager. So let's kind of, let's kind of break that down. Um, We talked, you know, I kind of highlighted a little bit where, the de- desire for product management comes from it's for people from all these backgrounds and some of the some of the skills you need but let's dive into that a little bit deeper now one of the things that it's important to understand is that not all product managers are the same and actually not all products that you manage are the same so one of the important things to really understand and this isn't always obvious to people because you know we as end users if you will um, are used to sort of interacting with something that feels fairly complete right uh, it could be an entire tool maybe it's Chef or Puppet or Ansible. Maybe it's, you know, a, a product. It's an iPhone. It's a, a Mac. It's, you know, a, a complete service. It's Salesforce or Zoom or something. But it's really important to understand that that oftentimes, um, while there might be somebody who's responsible for the overall product or an overall product suite or an overall product class, oftentimes as a product manager, you're going to be responsible for some smaller element of that. And, you know, that oftentimes surprises people as they go, well, I'd like to be the you know, the MacBook Pro manager or something. Um, usually you don't start there. So but what do I mean by that, right? So let's take something that we're all fairly familiar with, like a smartphone or an iPhone or something. Oftentimes, uh, you know, there's going to be a hardware product manager for that and a software product manager for that. And in reality, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of product managers, even within those subcategories. So take the hardware of an iPhone, there's typically going to be somebody who's responsible for uh, the display, you know, the glass and all that sort of stuff. There's going to be somebody who's responsible for the camera. Somebody's responsible for the chipset inside of it, the multiple chipsets. Somebody's probably responsible for the radio. Um, all those different elements could be individual product managers. And in fact, maybe there's sub sub product managers. Um, and the same thing is on the software side, right? There's going to be somebody who's responsible for the operating system and the SDK and certain APIs and user experience and battery and all that sort of stuff. So the first thing to understand is that not every product, uh, every product or every product manager has the exact same sort of job. The scope of their work uh, is oftentimes going to be very different. And, you know, so it's important to understand what are you going to be held responsible for? Um, And, you know, oftentimes you start small, uh, you're going to be in a very small part of it. uh, But then, you know, as you better understand the, the broader product, the entire product, the market, the go-to-market, all those sort of things, um, you know, the better you do in that space, the more opportunity you have to take on more responsibilities, product manager. Now, here's one of the things that people don't necessarily realize, uh, but if they think about what frustrates them about products, um, you know, as well as what they love about products, typically falls into into these this sort of this sort of phrase that you'll hear a lot: uh, cheap, feature-rich, or cheap features or fast, or how quickly you want it delivered. So do you want to focus on the price? Do you want to focus on the features? Or do you want to focus on how quickly it's available? 
Those are the three sort of domains that you're oftentimes dealing with with any product. And the reality is uh, you are constantly having to pick two. You very rarely get to pick three because the reason you're oftentimes building products, unless you are building a completely greenfield product as a startup, is that um, somebody else uh, is saying, this is what the market demands. This is what the users demand. And you're always having a trade-off. It's always that trade-off of, is the product too expensive? Is the product have enough features? And does the product get delivered on time or within the timeliness that it needs to be there? And you're always trying to figure out which of those things do I trade off? Which one do I prioritize? Which one do I ignore? Which one do I trade off? Is there a way to get a two-for-one sort of situation? And quite honestly, those are always going to be the things that it's your users, that your marketplace is going to be frustrated about, right? Oh, it doesn't have enough features. Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it came out too late and somebody else already does that thing. Um, so you're constantly sort of battling those things. So as a product manager, you're constantly, I talked in the beginning, you know, you not only have to be great at predicting the future. So where do I think the world is going? What type of problems do I think people are going to have? Because those are the things that you have to be able to put into your uh, into your into your roadmap, into your requirements list, into your things that you're trying to evaluate for trade-offs. How much is that going to cost? Do we have the skill set in-house to build that? Is that chipset available? Is there an API for that? All those sort of things. So you're trying to predict the future a little bit. And then at the same time, um, you know, one of the things about products is at some point, somebody either needs to use it or needs to buy it, right? And so, you know, people would love to, you know, have, uh, you know, autonomous driving, but, you know, the thing that you need for a Tesla today is, you know, autonomous driving might not be the biggest thing. Maybe they need a cheaper version of it. Oh, okay. Well, that's a near-term problem, right? So you're always looking at the crystal ball. You're always trying to predict the future, but then you're always kind of hearing immediate feedback from, from users, customers, whatever they might be, that go, I need something right now. I need you to fix a problem with things right now, right? Like this button is too big or this thing doesn't move fast enough or whatever it might be. And those are your trade-offs, right? Like, do I add that feature right now or do I sort of ignore that? Um, maybe I'm ignoring an opportunity to take in revenue or, or take in users, for something that's going to be even better. I'm going to bet the future on something that's even better, right? And and so you're constantly sort of uh, balancing not only those three things, you know, speed, uh, you know, cheap uh, features or, or delivery, and you're also balancing, do I do something now? And what if I do something now? Do I trade off for something in the future? Or if I do something in the future, can I hold off, you know, people pushing on you going, I need something now, uh, you know, for the future, right? So, so you're always kind of living in those five dimensions, if you will, uh, future and past, you know, future and, and now, and, and those three dimensions of, of the, the product in which you only get to pick two. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, this is the great challenge of being a product manager, right? And this is, for example, one of the great challenges that, uh, you know, business analysts coming into product management or um, you know, system solutions engineers, DevOps people have, is they tend to live in the now, right? I have to deploy things now. I have to make things work right now. And so they're constantly like, I want to build a better version of what I can see right in front of me. Whereas as a product manager, you're trying to listen to that, but you're also going, I got to predict the future, right? And so you know, there's a certain amount of guessing. Um, oftentimes, people want you to forecast. Well, if you build that thing, how many, how many will people buy? How many users will you need if we need to scale the service? All right. So you're constantly having to deal with that. 
Now, the next part about being a product manager, so uh, you know, you're you've you've figured out the technology in your space. You've you've figured out the, f- the today and the future. You've got to be a great communicator, right? And because again, everybody who's a product manager, even within your own team, has a finite number of resources and they have certain goals they're trying to meet, certain criteria they're trying to meet. And those things are sometimes uh, simpatico with what you're trying to do. They're aligned with what you're trying to do. But oftentimes they're adjacent or they're actually kind of going in different directions from what you're trying to do. Or maybe it's another team that you're building with or whatever. So you have to become a great communicator. And what I mean by that is on some extent, you have to be able to convince other people that you really, really understand a problem, that you understand that uh, this thing that you're bringing to them is truly a problem. Uh, it's not something that you could fix yourself if you just you know, were a little less lazy. That you could, It's truly a problem. You truly understand um, why it's needed, and, and you may really be great at fixing it. That's half the battle. The other half of the battle is convincing somebody that either your vision is your vision of the future is right, right? And, and again, that's always difficult because the future is a guess, right? It's a probability, whatever. But at the same time, you're also trying to convince them to take some of their resources, some of the things that they've probably committed already or that they two weeks ago or two months ago or whatever were, were con- committed that that was the best way to do it. And you're trying to convince them to do something else. In some cases, maybe against their best interest, but it's in the group's best interest, right? And so you've got to be able to be a great internal communicator, an influencer, a salesperson, if you will, a storyteller. You've got to be able to do all those things all the time. And then you flip the script and you've got to be a great external communicator. And an external could mean a lot of things in this job. If you're a, you know, a, an iPhone product manager, you're trying to convince the world that your product is great, right? So you're trying to convince them because you want them to buy it. If you're a, uh, in a, in a, in, within a business and you've built a, something that you want people to use, you've still got to be a great internal communicator, but you're doing it sort of on an external basis because maybe you're in the central IT group and you're trying to get people to come and use your, your platform, right? You're trying to convince them that that thing they told you they wanted and they wrote on the back of a napkin, that you've actually solved that problem and that they should come and they should you know do things a little bit differently. So you're constantly having to do that. And that's one of the things that's often challenging for people is if you come from the, the very technical world, right? You were a developer, maybe you didn't have to meet with people very often or customers or end users or your partners. You didn't have to meet with them very often because you just wrote code. Maybe you didn't have to you know, use your communication skills to convince people that what you were doing was great or interesting or solved a problem because you were like, oh, my code speaks for me. Well, as a product manager, you've got to be able to do that. And, you know, for as much as you may dislike marketing or you may dislike salespeople, well, you have to be the best salesperson there is for your product, for your aspect of the product, whatever it might be. So again, you know, I've talked a little bit throughout this thing of you've got to be great at at technology. You've got to be great at understanding the markets. You've got to be able to understand the technology and, and, and forecast things. And you got to be a great communicator, which means you, you know, you got to be extroverted to a certain extent, even if you're an introverted person, right? You're a, you're an INTJ on the, uh, you know, uh, Myers-Briggs or some, so on and so forth. Now, the next thing is you have to start thinking about, um, are you okay with making mistakes, right? Um, actually, before I get to the mistakes part, the third part is, is you really need to understand the business. And what I mean by that is you need to understand the business of your product, right? And what that means is, um, you know, what are the economics of my product? Um, you know, how will people use it? 
how much will it cost to build? How much will it cost to maintain? Um, how much will it cost if it does really well, right? If it scales, how much will it cost if it doesn't do well, but we have to maintain it for long periods of time? Um, if it's a product that you're going to take to market, how, what does the market expect today? How much can you sell it for, right? Can you sell it as a premium product? Can you sell it as a low end product? And what's going to be the route to uh, adoption, right? I, I would say go to market, but what's the route to adoption? That's the business side that you have to understand, right? You have to be able to analyze what else is in the market. What other options will people have to choose from? Um, what do the economics look like of that? What do the economics look like today? What are the ec- economics going to look like in two years? Oh, you're building today on X86, but ARM's coming along. Is that going to make things 40% cheaper? Is it going to make it 30% faster? Oh, well, that might completely change the economics of what you do. Oh, you're thinking about launching it as an open source project. Oh, okay, cool. That has certain economics that go with it, community building and all that sort of stuff, distribution. But then at some point, you want to turn that into a cloud service. Okay, well, that's a very different set of economics. You have to understand that as well, right? Um, so you have to understand the technology. You know, be a great communicator. You understand. You understand the business. Now, the thing you also have to realize in this job is, while it can be tremendously satisfying when you sit down with somebody who uses your product and they solve a problem and they come back to you and they're like, this is awesome. I can now do my job better. I can now go meet our sales quotas. I can now put a man on the moon or I can, uh, you know, help, uh, you know, a million people, you know, get into a better way of life, whatever it might be. That's incredibly satisfying. And to know that you are part of something that you built something, maybe you were the originator of it. Uh, you know, to, to have that innovation spark is incredible. It's really, really, uh, kind of intoxicating. And it's a lot of why people get into product management is just, you know, they've got that, that builder mentality, that maker mentality, that, that innovations inside of them. They think they can build a better mousetrap. They like the feedback of it. They like solving problems. All those things are awesome. But the other flip side of, of product management, and this goes back to my, you know, thing of there's three characteristics, pick any two, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, even the best product managers make a lot of mistakes. They prioritize the wrong thing. They pick the wrong technology. They pick the wrong horse. And in some cases, they pick the wrong horse and they realize it and they change. They pick the other technology, the alternative. But in some cases, they, they're stubborn. You know, the personalities come into play and they, and, they, and they stick with the same one too long, right? And there's dozens and dozens of, of examples of that in history. If you go back through some of our other Sunday's perspectives, you'll, you'll hear some of those. So you've got to be willing to understand that you're going to make a lot of mistakes and some of them will be very small, right? You'll say the wrong thing to a customer on a phone call and it might cost somebody a deal or, you know, you might upset a, uh, an engineer who's having a bad day and that person just decides, yeah, I don't really feel like working that hard on that thing over the weekend. And it's not my fault if we don't make the dates, right? Um, but you, you know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You might price the product wrong initially. You might price it too low. You're leaving money on the table. You might price it too high. Um, you might uh, prioritize the wrong feature and then realize, oh man, to get that new feature, I'm going to have to skip two other features, but I'm going to eventually get it in there. So you've got to have a thick enough skin to realize that you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And again, that's perfectly fine, right? It's, you know, hopefully you make a lot more of the right decisions than you do mistakes. But again, mistakes are manageable, right? Mistakes are manageable if you've done your homework on the business side, you understand what the market looks like, and you you can present good forecasts of what you think is going to happen. 
you communicate well with your internal teams, right? You listen when your engineers tell you that, hey, you're you're piling up too many features and they're building up too much backlog and technical debt. You're burning out your engineering team. Um, your sales force is telling you, hey, the way that you're positioning the product is it's just not working in the market. But if you did it this way, we know we can sell 10 times as much, right? You have to be willing to listen twice as much as you talk, right? It's the old adage. The, the reason you have two ears and, and only one mouth is, is that's the ratio you should be experiencing the world, right? Um, so, you know, it's every aspect of that, understanding the technology, understanding the business, being able to be a communicator. Um, you have to use those skills to not only enhance when you make the right decisions and really, uh, you know, play your hand well uh, when, you, when you have that, but when you make mistakes, be able to use those skills as well. Be able to go back and look at the business numbers. Oh, I misread them, right? Oh, the market changed and I didn't. Uh, we didn't incorporate that into our forecast. Oh, we, well, we screwed up or we're going to be late with something. I've got to be able to communicate this to people, but I also want to sympathize and empathize with them, the pain that's going to cause them and so forth. Um, and if you understand, you know, if they understand you, you can minimize that mistake. And if you look at technology and you go, oh, I really understand it. Um, or I ask the right questions when I don't understand it, right? And you reach out to people who are sometimes outside of your domain to better understand things. All those things sort of play together. So you're going to make lots of mistakes. You're going to get some things right. You're going to make them wrong. But again, you've got to be, you know, kind of wielding all three of those skill sets. And when you get yourself in trouble, you know, double down on, on the fundamentals of those things. How do you get yourself out of it? And the last thing I'll say about product management, um, and this is oftentimes, again, challenging for people who don't come from a product management experience, is most products tend to have very long life cycles, right? We talk about it all the time. Like, you know, people call them enterprise products or legacy legacy technologies. Well, if you ever get a product right, oftentimes people like them. They want to keep it around for a long time or they want the next version or they want the next version, whatever that might be. I mean, imagine being the original iPhone product manager. Well, you're now on version 13, even though people probably told you originally you were crazy, right? So what I mean by that is there's no end game in technology. There's very rarely an end game in, in products, right? I mean, eventually sometimes there's an end of life or an end of support, but you have to realize that, you know, quarter to quarter, year over year, you're going to be sort of living on this continuum, right? Sometimes the product will be great. Sometimes people will hate the product. Sometimes it will have enough features. Sometimes it will be too expensive, but you're constantly kind of evolving what it is. If you're listening to the market, you're making enough good decisions. And the reason I bring this up is sort of the last point is, you know, you have to have a different mindset. If you are a, you know, an engineer uh, and you're building something like in your mind, you might start, you might build it and then you're done. And then you move on to the next thing, right? And and if and if you appreciate that, maybe you build a building and the building's done, you move on to the next building. And you love that finish, you love the end, um, product management may or may not be right for you. If you're somebody who is incredibly competitive and you love that at the end of a game and you look at the scoreboard and there's a winner and there's a loser, um, or you know, in the famous sort of Ted Lasso sort of joke, oh, there's a tie, there's a draw. But you know, there's a winner and a loser, product management may not be the right thing for you because there's rarely the end of the game. You're constantly competing against somebody else or some internal project, whatever. Um, so you've got to sort of change your mindset. If you are a finance person and you're like, hey, uh, you know, I care about this quarter's numbers and next month's numbers and this KPI and whatever it is, product management may or may not be right for you because, um, you know, yes, you will hold yourself accountable or be held accountable to those quarterly uh, numbers or those, you know, KPIs or whatever. 
but your product might not always align to those things. I mean, you might be like, well, you know, we shipped a product on the second to last day of the quarter. So I didn't make the numbers for that quarter, but I blew them out the next quarter. So do I get bonus? Do I get credit? Do I, you know, how does it work out in the, you know, in the wash? It sort of all works out, but it may not align exactly to, you know, your old spreadsheets or your old accounting tables and so forth. So anyways, um, I kind of highlight all that stuff because uh, product management is probably one of the most rewarding, but also the most challenging jobs uh, in our industry, regardless of what you're doing. Because again, you have to be part fortune teller, part great communicator, part salesperson, part technical expert, part you know, great collaborator, um, because rarely does a product live by itself in a vacuum. And you've got to be motivated by all those things. You can't say, well, I only like two of those things and I hate the other two or three. You'll struggle as a product manager. But if you love the challenge of building things, you love the challenge of a, of a frequently changing environment, uh, you love competitiveness, you love uh, the challenge of building with technology, you love the, build, the challenge of building with teams, because rarely does anything ever get built by itself. Being a product manager might be a great job for you. You may love the role and it gives you all sorts of opportunity to grow and maybe eventually you manage teams of product managers or you manage uh, product lines, entire things. There's, there's huge opportunity. But you know, be aware of, of, of the challenges of it, right? Be aware of, of your personality, right? Like what you like to do, maybe what you don't like to do. Um, it might be a great opportunity for you to figure out <laughs> what those things are, but it might also be an opportunity for you to say, nope, those aren't the way you explain some of that stuff, there are certain characteristics in that that just don't work for me. So anyways, if you get a chance, uh, talk to product managers, ask them about their job, ask them how they built it. Um, you know, what was the, the politics around it? What was, you know, what worked well, what didn't work well. And I think you'll find that, uh, you know, there's a lot of variety in product management. It can be really rewarding. It can be really challenging and it can be everywhere in between. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, hopefully this was useful. This was, you know, kind of something we might do for 30 or 40 minutes or an hour with somebody kind of bouncing back and forth about what they like and what they don't like or what they're interested in. And, and those are some of the things that we, we frequently talk to people around. So hopefully this session was interesting to you. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Thank you so much for giving us feedback, whether it's at show at thecloudcast.net or, you know, by giving us a five-star rating on one of the, the podcast players or, you know, sending us a tweet or retweeting something or whatever it might be. So uh, great to hear from all of you. Thanks again for sharing and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 